episode, we wanted to continue the lessons that we were learning as a team and as leaders and even as a family during this COVID-19 season, where specifically conflicts and trials have gone over nations. And when we speak about things like the Philippines, where there's strict lockdowns and Right now in the Philippines, we're going through one of the longest lockdowns in the world, which is ongoing to about five months. It may actually occur for another five months. And there's still restrictions over people that are over the age of 60 and under the age of 21, meaning that more than 50 to 60 percent of the population called to remain at home and can't leave their home. That's the precautions that we have taken as a country so that we could ensure the safety and the health of everybody. But that essentially still puts around 50 to 60 million individuals inside of their homes. And what that has done is that a majority of the country obviously is ran around education, around media, around sports. If you don't know it as well, the Philippines is an absolute fan of basketball. And there's a basketball court everywhere from the main cities to the farm areas, even to tribal areas. And... Now, none of it can happen. Everyone's stuck at home. Nobody can go out. If you're going to go out, it's going to be one family member. Even the malls have arrows that you have to walk on. You, ha- you can only stay in the mall for about an hour to an hour and a half. You have to walk in your lane. There's social distancing everywhere, which is that's a little bit more common. And in some areas, it has even become more increased in terms of how to enforce it with the military and tanks and soldiers and things like that. And so what it's, what it's done is we basically have to look at what we're doing in terms of advancing the gospel of God, advancing the kingdom. What are the things that we're doing that aren't working? After a shaking, who are the disciples that are remaining standing? What is not standing? And allows us to look at what's going on as a nation, but also as a greater body of God all around the world and really assess what are the things that are unshakable that we do. And so in this, in this context, this is what we're going to go over. And I want to share about discipling perseverance. And perseverance is a very important and critical foundational fruit of the Spirit. If you look at the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, one of them is perseverance, and another name for that is long-suffering. And I think long-suffering really captures what the, the meaning of perseverance actually means. What Jesus teaches about perseverance, how he taught it, and practically what can we do in modern time as disciples of Jesus, as disciplers of Jesus, and how can we embed that into the next generation? And this is an important question for us to have, as the generation that we have now, specifically in developed countries, have a lot of options. And options and ability often create sometimes confusion on what decisions, what paths to take. And if there is a lot of options and there is a lot of resources, then perseverance sometimes doesn't get developed in the way that it's supposed to be developed. And that's something that we could see hurting the generation. It's also something we could see hurting their actual compass of how they're supposed to make life decisions and what they're supposed to be doing. And so as a whole, we really have to take a look at how we are discipling the next generation, how can we embed long-suffering inside of them, and then how can we ensure that practically they'll be able to walk this out. And so this is something with Youth With a Mission and also with a lot of the work that we're doing with national churches uh, all around us, 
that we really want to have as a major value when we are discipling the, the next generation. And I'm speaking, I'm speaking a lot mainly about that age group of that, those teenage years and early college years or even college years in general of just being able to persevere through this time of question and unknown and you know, developing themselves in adolescence. How do, we do, how do we get perseverance into them? And then in the next episode, I want to go over how do we get vision into them. And all of these are obviously going to be pivoted from the Bible, their principles that Jesus did, and then it's going to be breaking down into practical solutions and practical ways of doing it. So let's take a look at a story that we have here. Matthew 14, verses 26 through 33. This is when Peter was going to be walking on water. And as we go through each of these verses, I want to share specific principles that Jesus did when he was teaching Peter how to persevere. And Peter is a, I love the story of Peter because it shows us somebody that wasn't perfect, somebody that didn't have it all together, someone that did have a lot of raw potential, which I've essentially never met anyone that doesn't have raw potential in something. And Peter is the raw potential of an apostle. So he is going to be someone that pioneers and builds things out. But let's take a look at what Peter did in the beginning and what Jesus did did to increase the confidence and the perseverance that Peter had, which ultimately was even going to carry through Jesus's crucifixion and how Peter denied it, then onto him being an apostle, which literally got crucified upside down because his long suffering was so developed that now he was able to do it. Let's go ahead and take a look at the context of what's going on here. The disciples are on a boat. They're looking out to the ocean or the sea and they see Jesus but essentially, they first think that he's a ghost. And when they think he's a ghost, they see that he's, they become terrified. Now, when you look at this, they are terrified because it's something that's supernatural. And so one of the things that Jesus did with the disciples to increase their faith, which is the foundation for perseverance, is that he put them in situations that were supernatural and so big that they can't comprehend. And while This may not mean that we're supposed to walk on water as people that make disciples, but it does mean that when we do present challenges, it will require a level of faith, small or great, but that is what you're essentially building when you're building perseverance. You're building the rooting and grounding of faith inside of the individual. And then we look forward into it, and then verse 27, it says, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, do not be afraid. And so... We look at this, and then Jesus is now telling them, or telling Peter specifically, take heart. Um, And in this conversation, he's saying, do not be afraid. So the major value I want to emphasize there is that Jesus is literally walking him through this faith-filled but challenging situation. And he's saying to him, do not be afraid, take heart. So he's He's acting as a coach, but I would even like to say that he's really acting like a father. He's really giving that adoption spirit. He's giving that, I will be with you. I'm never leaving you. I'm never forsaking you. A lot of these qualities that we see even Apostle Paul talking about when he speaks about the Timothy, the Church of Corinth, there's this adoption spirit that literally is the glue that allows someone to persevere during their stages of young faith. And so as we look forward, we go, we go again to verse 28. And then it says, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me. And one of the things I want to emphasize there is that Peter himself is saying, command me. 
And there is a two-way street. So it's not that the discipleship is happening on a level where someone's being forced, which that's not essentially discipleship anyways, but there is an agreement that I see you as someone that is discipling me, and this is in the context of Jesus, but then in our context, this would be Jesus operating through us with the Holy Spirit, with the command of the Great Commission to make disciples, and he's literally telling him, command me. He's saying, well, tell me to do it. So he isn't in a place to make his own decisions at this point. He's trying to figure it out, which when we look at young disciples, that's, where, that's the same situation. If we don't sometimes tell them to do it, they're not going to do it. But if at the same time, they don't also ask for, if they don't put themselves in a position where they're saying, okay, coach me, tell me what to do, then we don't have all of the authority to do it as well. Because again, they're not slaves, for example. Even when we see Apostle Paul use the the vernacular, I am a bondservant, he's essentially saying, I am a voluntary slave. And so he's saying, whatever you want me to do, I will do voluntarily. And that is the same heart posture when we look at discipleship towards Jesus as Lord and Master. We're, we're voluntarily saying to ourselves, okay, I will follow you. And so in a context of a child and a father or a disciple and a disciple maker, that is still the same spirit. There is someone that's positioning themselves to be taught, could be challenging, could be a lot of doubts like we're seeing with Peter himself, but that's something and even in a real life situation we have to understand as well, that there will be doubts, there will be a challenge, and it will be something bigger than them. And in this case for Peter, it's walking on water. So let's move forward. He says, then he says, come. So Peter comes out of the boat and walks on water and came to Jesus. And so this is the point where the disciple is now taking on the supernatural challenge. Jesus is walking with him, but he's he's not so close to him at this point where he's holding his hand, so to say. This is the level of relationship where, okay, you come to me. So it's not that I'm teaching you how to walk now, but like a baby to a dad. Now I'm telling you, Come to me, look at me, be intimate with me, be in a relationship with me, but it's your choice to have your faith. But it's in such a way that if we look at the next scripture, he says, and when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he said, Lord, save me. And this is another important concept, which I'm going to take a little bit more deeper into in the next section, is that Jesus has, he didn't like fall into the ground and drown and get eaten by a giant fish. Like he literally walked towards him. And when his faith was declining because of his natural fear versus his supernatural faith, he began sinking. And then he said, Lord, save me. And then obviously Jesus comes and saves them in the next verse. But what we see in this position is that there is a safety net that is actually established. And when the failure occurs, there's a place where there's still a place of reprimand. There's still a place of, okay, let's figure this out. Let's see what happened. Let's, let's try and fix it. And let's, let's go ahead and rethink what's going on. And he, the Jesus is still close enough where he could even call out, Lord, save me. That's, this is a very crucial area of developing long suffering because in this stage, they have to know that they will be safe or be saved. And at this point, if they don't have that, then they won't be able to take those giant leaps of faith that are so necessary for a long suffering disciple. And so now we go to verse 31, which is where Jesus is now giving the lesson. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, immediately, as you can see that, wasn't hesitant, took hold of him, saying, oh, you of little fate, why do you doubt? 
Now, this is a, another important place here that Jesus was close enough to immediately take him, immediately take him. So there was somewhat of a expectancy that he's not going to make it. The challenge was so great. Jesus knew that he could immediately grab him. So he wasn't shocked. He wasn't mad. He wasn't angry, but he did let Peter question, why did you fall? And at this point where Jesus puts the teaching lesson isn't on his own strength. It's not on his own skill. The foundational principle that Jesus is teaching Peter is why do you doubt? Why do you not have faith? And so faith, the reason why this is happening is because if you look at the Beatitudes, which is essentially the major cornerstone of Jesus's teaching, the word Beatitude literally means in Greek, the blessed one, the blessed one of these divine attributes. And the first divine attribute is poor in spirit, which means that everything I do is based on faith and dependency on Jesus. And the word poor there, that's not an interdependent word. That's not a, I'm fully capable and you're fully capable. The first beatitude is literally, I am poor. I am not capable of accomplishing whatever it is you want me to accomplish. I have the word poor there is literally the flesh sticks to my ribs because I'm so poor. I'm, then he moves into hungering and thirsting where he emphasizes how poor, which is the hungering and thirsting. But the, the entrance into the Beatitudes is that poorness. And literally what that's meaning is that everything that we do on earth is dependent on our faith with Jesus Christ for it to have eternal value. And so I'm not saying here that we can do things in our own strength and it's not something successful. And so I'm not defining the fruit here by success of this age. I'm defining the success of this age based on eternity, which is essentially what Jesus is saying here because he's saying faith. And faith is the eternal foundation. It's the eternal ingredient. It's the eternal attribute that is necessary for an unshakable disciple, which is when we look at the attributes of the fruit of the spirit, long-suffering. That's the foundation of long-suffering. And so let's move forward. He says, why did you doubt? Then the wind ceased and there we go. The test was done. The storm was done. He was saved. That was the challenge, and that was, that's what's going on there. And so he looks at them and he says, and those in the boat worshiped him, truly you are the son of God. And so Jesus did accomplish one thing here. One thing is that, well, the, the one thing that wasn't accomplished was that Peter didn't walk directly to Jesus on water. However, that wasn't the full fruit that Jesus was trying to go for. One of the things that Jesus was trying to go for was the increasing of faith and the increasing of trust, the increasing of relationship and the increasing of adoration and worship, which is when he said, truly you are the son of God. And in verse 33, it also says worshiped. And that's the point there when, and you could train that early on, even as a baby, like not, maybe not, maybe a baby in a sense of relationship, but as a kid, the glory has to go back to Jesus in a sense of a practical example. And instead of just saying thank you to yourself, you did a great job. You also say thank you to Jesus for allowing me to, to get the strength to go through this challenge. But in this situation, we're looking at it. Jesus was successful because he got Peter and the disciples to increase their faith and increase their worship to Jesus Christ, which is what ultimately gives them the foundation for long-suffering. 
Now, let's take a look at these practicals that we can look at. Practicals are very important because that's the biblical truth. There's the biblical story. Now we have to contextualize that into a modern day time where for most of us, which essentially a lot of us are Gentiles, unless we're Messianic Jews, but this is, it's 2,000 years later in this situation, there's a global pandemic. After the global pandemic, we're still 2,000 years later and things are changed. There's iPhones, we got androids, we have internet, we have the airplanes, we have travel. There's just, we're at an age where literally the next generation is fully raised on the internet. And I would even like to add in a lot of developed countries fully raised on gadgets because there are still a lot of places in the world, specifically more rural areas of the planet, which do encompass millions of people, if not a billion, that aren't struck on gadgets. They're not struck on internet and they are literally living in the same way they did hundreds of years ago. But for a more practical situation of what we're dealing with, I'm going to speak into... Here are some major practicals that we want to look at when developing grit, when developing perseverance, when developing long-suffering. And these are things that whenever I disciple individuals, I always make sure that they have. And this isn't a program or a training session. These are obviously things that we have to live out in our own life that we've probably experienced through our divine mentorship with Jesus ourselves or mentors that we've had. But you might see patterns If you are one that is able to suffer long, you might also see similar things here, principles that you've gone through, but at the same time, we could actually teach them through these major principles. Okay, number one is challenge. Now, we see that with the the storm, and then we also see that with the walking on water. Whenever we are discipling long-suffering, it doesn't normally start with something catastrophic. While it can... In a normal basis, let's say in a family-oriented situation where it isn't hyper-catastrophic and your kids are in a position where they do have options, they can learn things, there are resources, then how do you develop, how do you develop challenge if the situation itself isn't so challenging? And so one of the ways that you do that is you construct it around it. But the idea there is that you're not constructing it strictly on something that requires your own strength, but it's built on something that is supernaturally big, which could be something very normal. And in our cases, sometimes that's outreach, sometimes that's evangelism. It wouldn't be discipleship at first unless that's really the place where they're at. But we want to put them in a place that is covered in prayer. It's, it's guided by the Holy Spirit. It's, it has... It has eternal value. We're not trying to develop, even though in the end it will become that, obviously, because the long-suffering for a disciple is supernatural when you look at it at its most heightened place. But we're not looking at raising a militaristic strength here. And the reason why I say that is because I did get trained in the military. My whole platoon was special forces. Everyone that I was training with, a lot of them went into those type of special operations 80% of them made it. I came out of it, and that's another story. But there is a strength that human beings have that is just pure grit. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it it will last through the fire of Jesus Christ in the eternal fire, the refiner's fire, which is essentially judgment day. And so what I'm talking about is a grit or a long suffering that will last beyond this temporal age. And what that means is that the challenge set before them has to be founded in prayer, founded in scriptural values, founded in a biblical worldview. And once it's founded in that, 
then we can move forward in the direction of the challenge. And again, it doesn't. It could be a lot of things. It could be a sport. It could be a hobby. It could be schooling. It could be anything. But the the end motivation is eternal long suffering, not e- suffering in eternity, but long suffering with an eternal value. That's what we're looking at. Not long suffering in their own strength, which could lead to a lot of self strength and a, a lot of self pride. Which once that's developed into a young believer or a young disciple, it's very hard to untrain that later. Once they're in a mindset that I do everything in my own strength and they've already developed, even if it's temporal fruit, it's hard to tell them later that, okay, well, even if you developed it, it doesn't have eternal value. And if if they're still at a young age, like let's say even 20 years old, that's very hard to get out of somebody if they've already developed that habit. So if you're in a position where there's wet cement, you want to make it in the sense that, Okay, let's go ahead and look at Jesus. Let's look at eternity. Let's do this with God. Let's have faith for you are able to accomplish this in prayer and you are able to accomplish this in excellence and skill. And so you're not removing excellence and practical wisdom, but you're making the umbrella of it faith, which is their relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, it's a supernaturally big challenge, something that they will need mentorship with and something that they will need the number, the second step, which is basically a safety net or the next principle, which is you have a challenge, but then you have a safety net. And the safety net is literally the discipleship. It's you. It's the mentorship. You're able to construct whatever is around them in such a way that they will fail, but when they do fail, that they'll be able to get back up and fight in faith and in prayer. And the way that they fight in prayer and in faith is basically the way that you disciple. When you solve the problem, you're quoting scriptures, you're saying that I'm praying to God. And this is something I've seen too. If somebody is a mature believer, sometimes they don't always quote Jesus or give it back to Jesus because it's so normal for them. And so I found this even in my own, when I'm making disciples, you literally have to intentionally quote scriptures, you have to intentionally make Jesus's name known. If not, then you're giving biblical principles, but you may not be putting Jesus as the center point, which as the younger they get, that even becomes more important. For example, even with my daughter, I have to really make it that Jesus is the one that even told us to give you these gifts. Jesus is the one that's going to give you strength so you can maybe sing or so you can maybe dance or so you can get up and walk. You have to ask the Holy Spirit for those things. And that's something that vocally has to be said. Otherwise, if it's not declared, then they'll never know. And that goes back to the Romans principle of how will they hear if they never know? So again, it's a little bit of witnessing. It doesn't have to be weird. It just has to be It has to be intentional. It has to be something that you do. So anyways, the safety net has to be there in whatever construct on, even when athletes are being trained, they're not getting shot into fighting a champion. I did boxing, so that's something I understand. But when you're training someone, you don't make them fight a champion and get knocked down in five seconds. You help them get punched in the face, but they're not going to die help them burn out, I don't know, maybe even throw up or something. But essentially, it's something that they'll be able to handle at a novice level, still challenging. And the under the undergarment, the foundation of that, the undergirding of that is love. You're, you're letting them know, you're expecting they're going to fail, you're expecting them to get challenged. But again, it's not like, 
it's not a militaristic thing. And I know that the military trains in different ways. I love it. I, I learned a lot of strength through it. But it's not, um, it's not built on you're going to murder the enemy. You're going to murder somebody. It's built on literally love. That's really where it's founded on. And so you're telling them in love, go ahead. You can do it. You can, keep, you can get back up. The next one is that um, I'm going to give a little bit more emphasis on this, the small wins that they're going to get. And so let's say, for example, it's in a hypothetical situation where they're, they're in competition or they're in a game. And let's say they lose. And so maybe they're not in a place where they can win. You know, They just keep getting knocked out in whatever situation. And so you want to make it in such a way that the win is something that they can get. And one of the ways that you can do this is give them small wins in something that they have a little bit of a seeded talent. And so a seeded talent, for example, when you're discipling, it could be in a lot of things. It could be found in passions, hobbies. While those things aren't necessarily calling, so to say, which they could be later on if they're discovered, but you're looking at something that could be an innate gift, an innate talent, an innate skill, and usually that's discovered through relationship that's discovered through experience, but it's also a lot of times discovered by the Holy Spirit revealing it in prayer. And you're just watching somebody and seeing that there's some kind of talent in this individual, even if they don't know it, which a lot of times youth don't know their talents for whatever reasons. And there's a lot of reasons, but I'm not going to go into that. So they don't know what they're, they don't know what they're good at. You kind of look at it. You're like, yeah, you might be able to grow in that. This may not be something you're super good at, but maybe it is, but you're looking at something that they can get that, that is a seed of something that they can get a win on and say, yeah, you did that. You got a milestone, which goes into the next one about developing milestones. So you want to give them a seed of a win and then give them a milestone. If you land on something that is a gift and a talent, it wasn't a trial run, so to say. And what I mean by that is, let's say you're trying to, I, I had to do baseball I didn't like it. It was I was bad at it. I tried basketball. I was bad at it. My parents put me through a lot of sports. They put gloves on my hands and they put a punching bag in front of me and I was hitting that thing until nighttime. Even when I was a little kid, they gave me a bunch of balls. I don't know. I just threw them and forgot about them. They gave me this little punching thing when I was in elementary school and I just kept knocking that thing over the head. And I realized that that's something I liked. That's something my dad saw. That's something my mom saw. And even when I would go to the boxing ring, you know, I don't like I don't like getting tired in basketball, but when I get punched in the face and my whole shirt is bloody red, when I would come home, my mom would be like, what is going on? My dad would be like, he's just boxing. That's how it works. I did have a thin vein, whatever. But that's literally, I'm like, okay, whatever. I could suffer for something if I understand it and I get, and I have a little bit of passion in it. And so that's something that as youth, you have to kind of discover what is the passion thing that will drive them so that they can understand long suffering in a different context. And so what you do is then once they start developing that confidence, for us, it's a lot of times with evangelism. In our context, it's worship. In our context, it's disciple making because of what we're doing as a base. And so we don't set them in front of, well, sometimes we do, but we don't set them in front of something where it's like 10,000 people they're speaking against or even a thousand or even a hundred. Uh, but it's something that they could get their, their, their gift out if they have a gift of teaching or preaching. And then they see, oh, I did it. And then it worked. And like the Holy Spirit would meet me and praise Jesus. In other contexts, it could be even music. It could be worship. 
It could be, all right, why don't you go ahead and make your own song or why don't you do a cover or change the lyrics or something So if they're a lyric, a lyricist. If it's sports, then let's go ahead and do this. And then if they do win, you really praise Jesus. You develop that early on. You constantly, or if they're in a place where they don't like Jesus right now, then you you quietly pray about it. And then you just kind of interject it through you modeling the love of Jesus Christ and then interjecting it in times of weakness. Um, If somebody is in a position where they already have confidence and they're already winning, but then there's pride in the way, there will be a fallout somewhere because that's just what happens when you get challenged. In that position, if it's already too late in the game, then you could interject hey, you know what? Jesus still loves you. I still love you. If they don't have a relationship with Jesus super strong, you're going to have to be that witness of Jesus's love. And you're just going to have to make love the foundation and kind of go back to where it may have been lost. So those are a couple of major practical things that we do um, when we're we're going over and developing long suffering. Just going to go through the practicals real quick again. Give a super naturally big challenge that they really don't think that they could accomplish, but they can accomplish it with you and Jesus Christ. The next one is make sure you say you set up safety nets so that they will be successful. And you're going to have to use your own experience and prayer to really determine, will they be successful in this thing? And that's where experience comes from in discipleship. And then you got to go into small wins to boost confidence. So as you're on this pathway of this big challenge, you're letting them get small wins to get the confidence and faith, but you're also undergirding that with love so that as they're getting challenged and falling on their face and whatever the situation is, that they still know they're loved throughout the whole situation. And at the end, you want to give a a big milestone. And if it's a gift that they have, you want the milestones to progress and progress and progress. But you want to make sure that they don't sense that you love them more when they win versus you love them more when they lose. And that's a very important piece there. They will not long suffer on their own if they're performing for the love. When someone grows up as a full disciple, they will long suffer with the fruit if they know they are always loved. And that's where the backwardness happens. But that's also something we've seen with um, our missionaries. If they're going into very persecuted nations, if they're dealing with really hard times, even coronavirus is obviously a, a place for that. But it's a, it's a time where they could look at it and go like, I don't have my mentor. I don't have my discipleship. I have my Bible. Or I have the word I memorized. And Jesus loves me. I'm going to keep pushing forward. And it's a lifestyle they get. And that's literally how we see discipling perseverance into the next generation. Okay, so go ahead and let me know if you have any questions with this. I'd love to get into a chat, messaging, email, whatever. Go to our website. I'm going to make more content for this written as well. So, yeah, let me know if there's anything that you want to learn more about this topic. And then the next episode, we're going to go into how to develop vision as someone that is making disciples. 